You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Well, Hub City, good morning. I'm excited to uh, be here, and uh, we're going to jump into a new series starting today. It's going to be on parables, uh, parables of Jesus, or by Jesus specifically. Um, If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've gone through um, a lot of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and they were dense and so good, and they're so rich, and it felt kind of good to switch to parables and a little bit more accessible, um, some really, really incredible stories that we're going to get into um, but first, we kind of want to start out with like, what's a parable? Why parables? Why did Jesus teach in parables? So if you look at, you know, our English dictionaries and or merriamwebster.com, parable is defined as usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Okay, so a typical example in an English dictionary definition would be the parable of the boy who cried wolf. You know that story, he cried wolf so many times. And people would come and and care for it, but then there wouldn't be a wolf. And so eventually a wolf actually showed up. The boy cried wolf. Nobody responded. And he ended up being that wolf's lunch that day. So what's the moral attitude here? Maybe don't lie. um, Or after a while, basically, if you're too annoying, no one will pay attention. Um, Religiously, if there's a religious principle here, it can mean, you know, don't present yourself uh, falsely or claim true what's not true. Right. Um, Or there's another one. Have you heard the one about the wise man? So people have been coming to this wise man, complaining about the same problems every time. One day he told them a joke and everyone roared in laughter. The next day he told them the same joke and only a few of them smiled. Well, he told the same joke for the third day. No one laughed anymore. The wise man smiled and said, well, you can't laugh at the same joke over and over. So why are you always crying about the same problem? (laughs) I love it. I'm going to use that on my kids. Uh, what's the, like? What's the moral of the story here? The worrying won't solve your problems, right? It'll just waste your time and energy. And there's a religious truth in that too. So parables are like this great way to get a point across using imagination, morals, and truths. But let's think about this. So the God of the universe, the God who we have tracked through the whole Testament, the God of the Israelites, this God came down to earth in human form as a baby who grew to be an influential teacher who taught some of his most important lessons in parables. So the question is, is the above definition an accurate description of what Jesus does when he tells parables in his teachings? Can we just boil Jesus down to a brilliant moralistic teacher who teaches us how to be a better person and how to be good at religion? Now, if Jesus came down to earth and only told stories, he wasn't the son of God, and he had no more meaning than what the stories represented, then sure, these stories could all just be boiled down to being short, fictitious stories that illustrate a moral attitude or religious principle. But often Jesus is telling a parable when he's asked a question or he's trying to explain something. Now, you would think as a first century rabbi, Jesus would want to make his often uneducated disciples and followers understand his teachings right? That he would want to make his teachings easier to know. But as we dive into these parables over the next few months, we'll see that often his stories don't have clear answers. In fact, they don't seem like answers at all. And we want to argue in this series that Jesus is doing something different than just that basic definition of parables, something different than just moralistic teachings or how to be better people. He's revealing something to his followers that has never before been more fully revealed than right now. He's revealing what the kingdom of heaven 
is like and who is its king. Now, when you and I in our sci-fi enhanced brains, of course, and imaginations think about kingdom of heaven, well, first of all, Orlando Bloom probably pops into your mind, right? But if not, we have some sort of understanding or we've seen it in a film or a picture, something of like streets of gold. Like we could kind of picture that, just picture it right now in your mind's eye, right? Or like I used to think in heaven there was flying babies, right? And maybe there are, who knows? That's pretty cool, right? Maybe flying babies are around or there's this brilliant light in the center that's drawing everyone in. We can kind of make believe this with our brains. But think about this. What would a first century Jewish Jewish merchant think? What would a farmer think of? What would a temple priest think of? So one of the most famous parables of all time in the scriptures is the parable of the sower. And this is not the parable we're going to get into today. But if you, you all know the story, right? The farmer sows some seed and it falls on different kinds of soil. Some in places that are harder for growth and some in fertile soil where it thrives. Now just think about this. Jesus is speaking to first century farmers who are curious about who he is. So they all left their fields and they came to see him. In fact, so great a crowd comes out to hear his teachings, and this is in Matthew 13, that he goes out a little bit onto a boat into the water and creates an amphitheater of sound. He turns around, uses the water to amplify his voice, and he tells them a story of what they do with their lives. Like, realize that he tells a farming story to farmers about how to plant a seed. Now, does that seem like a brilliant moralistic teacher from heaven to you, right? If you're, you know, let's just say you're a mechanic and you hear of this great, brilliant man who knows everything there is to know about cars in your city. So you drop everything, you cancel all your appointments and you go and see him. And then he proceeds to tell you how to change the oil. Like you'd be on the edge of your seat for like, okay, okay, yep. And then what? What's next? But like, that's it, right? Because here's the deal. When Jesus speaks in parables, He's connecting with people in their language, in their day-to-day world to encourage them, giving them hope and showing them where his kingdom is already present where they are at. It's not this abstract, faraway thing that they could never achieve or attain. It's with them where they're at. Now think about what your day-to-day world is like. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Teaching first grade, starting with reading, math, and art. And you're like, okay, and what, right? Kingdom of heaven is like nursing. Uh, kingdom of heaven is like parenting, like being a student, like being a barista or a bartender or a lawyer, etc. right? Whatever your situation is. If Jesus were here today, he would be speaking into the stories of our daily responsibilities and relationships at the most basic mundane level so that we can see our lives and purpose in a new way. And listen, it's okay if you don't get it because we're not the first ones to not fully get why Jesus teaches this way. In Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower, the disciples are just as confused as us, and they do some groundwork for us, asking, this is chapter 13, verse 10, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? That's a great question. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And this apparently fulfills a prophecy made by Isaiah a long time ago. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. 
For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears or eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, Jesus' response is so crucial to this series. For us to get glimpses of understanding of his teachings, the purpose of the parables, it's not for information about things. The purpose of the parables is for heart change. It's for healing. It's for turning to God. Jesus' parables were meant to change your way of thinking, seeing, and hearing that then would change your whole life. The parables are more of like this uh, litmus test of seeing where people are at. If they hear a strange story and nothing more comes of it, then that's the level of understanding they've been given. And here's how he does it. It's not with remarkable flashy language, but Jesus is here to take everyday normal things that people take for granted and have forgotten what the Lord has made to remind them and to help them and us now see what they've missed in regular everyday life. So understanding this is what it means that the kingdom is here. It's not a set of moralistic teachings. It's a whole new way to live. It's a whole new value system. The value system of God that he is trying to teach us how to make our everyday value system. So let's get into one today. Let's pray right now and ask for the eyes to see and the ears to hear this parable. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this moment that we get to sit under your teaching um, you're teaching so long ago through your son, but it is so applicable today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the power that connects with our spirit and the word. Lord, we, we pray that we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear your message today. Amen. So if you would, if you would turn to uh, Luke chapter 7 and have it out in front of you. Um, but while you're doing that, I'll give you some context. Now in this parable series, we are always going to get into the context of each parable. We believe that it, you could just take these stories or parable teaches, Jesus teaches out of their immediate context, and then you would fall into the trap of just making them about the story, the moralistic tale of the story. But in its context, backed with the mission of Jesus displaying this new kingdom way, these stories have so much more to offer because they're always in their own context. They mean something so much more than just the story. So Luke chapter 7, real quick, while you're turning there. Jesus has been going around healing, gathering followers, and has grown in popularity in the area. He is, classically, confusing to the people because he's this incredible teacher and generous with his time, but he's not like the other teachers of the law. He doesn't just spend his time in the temple or with important people, but he spends all his time with commoners, the sick, the lame, and these sinners. So naturally, the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, are skeptically curious about him because he's so unorthodox. He's so different than the culture they have built up in their class system, their value system. So this one Pharisee we'll learn later, his name is Simon. He invites Jesus to his house to eat a meal with him and weigh what kind of man this Jesus is. So this is Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, so real quick, when a Pharisee invited someone, and of course of Jesus' reputation, you can believe there's others at the table. Pharisees were very particular about who they were in the company of because their, their image was really important. This would have been a very specific dinner party with only the top of the top seated here. 
and they're there not to be, bring hospitality to Jesus, more than likely they're to judge Jesus and to dismiss his popularity and teaching with their own impressiveness. Verse 37, and behold, just, just imagine this scene. It's incredible. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Thank you, Luke. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Just sit in the dismay of this moment. Like this woman who Luke very generously provides was a sinner, just so we can all be painfully aware of the awkwardness of this moment, right? If this was known about this woman, then she probably would have had a reputation and she would never have been invited to Simon's house on her own. Her violation of where she should not be is so stark and upfront. But it's interesting, instead of throwing the woman out immediately or just causing this uproar, Simon actually uses this as a stage for disproving Jesus. Look at this, verse 39. When the Pharisees who the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So first off, Simon apparently put himself in this prophet position because he ascertained that she was a sinner and knew about her and would not let her touch him. So she's, he's right there even putting himself above Jesus. But Simon has already apparently judged her. She's a sinner and no prophet of the Lord would allow such wickedness upon his person. Remember, their belief was that uncleanliness is contagious. So if she was unclean and were to touch them, then they would become unclean. So in conclusion... Allowing her to touch him, Jesus, means that he is disproved. He's not a prophet. He's not a holy man. And we were right, right? Ha ha, Jesus, we got you. Well, verse 40, Jesus answering, which I love that because Simon said it to himself, but Jesus obviously overheard it. Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. And I imagine kind of a snicker and kind of elbowing his buddies, right? So then he tells a parable. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Wow. Okay. So let's get into it a little bit. So kind of like just basic parable points, just to kind of summarize it, right? Both debtors could not pay their debt. So one was 50, one was five, 500, but they both could not pay it. Two, the money lender had come to cancel the debts of those who could not pay. And three, the one who had the bigger debt removed will, be li- will likely be more grateful. Okay, so we could just walk away with that. Awesome. What a neat moralistic teaching. Uh, don't be in debt. But if you are, sometimes good things happen and sometimes there's a gracious money lender, right? This isn't just a random story. Let's put it back into its context, right? So verse 44, after he tells this story, and Simon answers, verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. The assumption from the context in the parable is that the woman has the greater debt, right? But gee, look what Jesus did here. He just set before himself two people, 
One loved him much, and one loved him very little. Now, in this context, who has more debt to Jesus here? This shameful moment for Simon, who cared more about his position and power than being a good host to Jesus, actually puts him in incredible debt to this Jesus. But Jesus, if this was just hospitality, then yeah. But he's not just talking hospitality. Look at this, verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So this this is, of course, the main point of his parable and the whole evening. And it's not just about putting blame on someone. This is revealing this new value system of God's kingdom come to earth in and through Jesus. Think of like the logic of the statement. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. Okay, so let's put it a different way. She loved much. Her sins were much. She was forgiven much. Conversely, Simon loved little, convinced his sins were little, forgiven little. Okay, listen, this isn't like a theological argument for salvation, okay? The word forgiven here is it's not meant to be a salvation-esque word. It's not like one can be more saved than the other. But it does mean more like thankfulness or gratitude to the one who has forgiven or paid the debt. So the one who was forgiven much will be more thankful than the one who was forgiven little. And here's the key, not because of the amount of the debt, but because of the weight of the debt. Right? It's like the classic question, which is heavier, a pound of bricks or a pound of feathers? Right? Like, which one's heavier? That's the trick. They're both a pound, right? The the amount of the weight is the same, right? But one certainly triggers a heaviness, right? That's a, 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 it seems like the bricks should be heavier, but they're both a pound, right? So the example of Simon here is that he doesn't believe he has to be forgiven much. He believes he's better. He believes he's actually closer to God. He's only 50 silver coins away from God or the goal or whatever it is, right? He judges other people, not himself. So instead of being thankful to God, he's expecting God to be thankful for him and his upright ways. And the power of this parable is there wasn't an exact explanation of who had the bigger debt. It's easy to assume the woman because of how the story is told, but Jesus is exposing the actual darkness of religious piety here. There's this hard-heartedness to these Pharisees. They'll be harder to soften than a broken and contrite heart who knows how badly they need forgiveness. Even look at where everyone is physically in this narrative, right? The woman is behind Jesus, and Simon is at the head of the table. Simon has to literally see this woman through Jesus. Jesus, instead of siding with the important people in society, becomes the great advocate for the lesser in society. And Jesus looks upon this woman who knows she's in debt. And by the way, it doesn't matter how much the actual amount is. She knows the weight of knowledge of the debt. And he sees that she understands her debt and loves much because she's completely dependent on the grace and mercy of him being Lord. She knows she cannot dig herself out of the hole of debt from her past, things she's done, things done to her, things she has nightmares of and desires of and dreams of that she'll never come to be. But before forgiveness was even on the table, before she even knew how the night would go for her, she threw everything she had at the feet of Jesus. She threw all hesitation aside, all propriety to the wind and just went for it. She put herself completely in the line of judgment from religion at the merciful feet of Jesus. And what'd she find? Judgment from religion that says she's too wicked to be redeemed, 
but she found mercy, grace, forgiveness, and healing from Jesus. Look at this, chapter 748. And he, being Jesus, said to her, your sins are forgiven. This woman showed so much more than these religious leaders what it looked like to believe in and follow God. And instead of being in awe and having their hearts softened, the religious leaders don't see it and they don't hear what is going on. Look at this, 49. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Like whether they were just shocked by the audacity of Jesus here or actually trying to figure it out. The Pharisees just can't believe either the miracle or the blasphemy they just witnessed. But the woman knows who this is. She doesn't have perfect theology. She doesn't have a squeaky clean life, but she knows Jesus. She knows that at her worst, most embarrassing moment, while she was still a sinner, Jesus loved her. And verse 50 to conclude, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who had eyes to see and ears to hear in this story? Right? The woman heard that Jesus was at Simon's house and she came running. She represented someone who heard and saw Jesus as Lord as the only way, truth, and the life. And who couldn't see themselves or others in light of how God sees people? The leaders who were supposed to teach people about Jesus. Right, This new value system Jesus is bringing is going to upend those who think they're important to change the climate of who is righteous and who is not. And as we conclude, this is the great power of Jesus' teaching in parables. Whether he turned and repented or not, Jesus got Simon to agree that someone who knows the weight of their debt will be more grateful if it's forgiven. If Jesus was just to say, hey, Simon, you're being a you know, pious religious bigot right now. Stop thinking you're so important and realize you're just, you're just as bad and treat her with respect. I mean, that would go all kinds of sideways, right? And not actually get to the heart of it. But Jesus isn't here to just rail on everyone and starts fighting. He's here to bring a whole new value system that's upside down from what the world thinks. And he's brought it to everyone. It's just as he said, there will be those that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But he's come to bring it. He's come to bring understanding. Later in our scriptures, when Jesus reveals himself to the apostle John, he speaks of an, a whole church of Laodicea saying, hey, guys, like in general, this big group, like you're doing everything on the outside you're supposed to do, but your hearts are not for me. You look good and think you're good, but your hearts are not. Let's read this. Revelation 3.17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, but not realizing that you are in fact wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Like what a list. Right? This is the exact problem with Simon and the Pharisees that we're supposed to see. They needed nothing because of what they had built for themselves. That's what they believed. But here's the deal. Righteousness is not something to be obtained. It's something to be received. And it's something that only God can give himself. See, there's always going to be this temptation to make the parables all about us. Who should we be in this story? What does this tell me about me? And there are some takeaways, right? Don't think your good religious practices will save you like Simon did. And also don't believe you're too far gone for forgiveness like the woman. Both are extremes, right? Most of us are not temple leaders and most of us hopefully are not prostitutes, right? But remember, there is more than just moral teachings here. Jesus, God in the flesh, stands in the gap between those who have made much of themselves and those who have been made little and welcomes both to the table. He humbles the high and he, and, he, and he raises up the lowly. 
right? Jesus doesn't just have an invitation. He is the invitation for the mighty to be humbled and the outsider to be welcomed in. And what we will find in this parable series is that again and again, we need to fight the urge we have to immediately look at a parable and break it down in a practical self-serving way and say, okay, who am I in the story? What can I learn about this? How can I be a better person? We will find as we look at the parables over the next several weeks, the primary reason Jesus teaches parables is to teach us about his kingdom and his ways. The more we follow Jesus and trust him and fall in love with him, we will begin to see our lives in the midst of this kingdom. And this is what we are to see and be humbled by this morning. No matter how you walked in today, no matter your past, your present, your future, you and I can fall at the feet of Jesus. We can always make a fool of ourselves to the world in Jesus' presence. How powerful a story would this have been if Simon softened his heart, fell on the floor, and wept with this woman? That would have changed everything. But this would have this would have taken a whole new value system that different than what they had. And that is what we're doing today, learning from the greatest teacher in Jesus there ever was. That I pray we're, we're learning this new value system. I pray that we're a generation that has the eyes to see and the ears to hear the good news that God's kingdom has begun and its king is Jesus Christ. And his welcome is to the table. And this is why we at Hub City, we make communion central to our response in Jesus, right? It's the same way that Jesus used parables to speak into the most normal, relatable parts of life for his listeners. God sent Jesus incarnate to relate to our human experience. We have a God who relates to his people at their level out of his grace. And as we remember in communion, his work on the cross, we can see this great deep-seated truth that the greatest act of love is unconditional self-sacrifice. This is what makes Jesus' work on the cross the ultimate example. There's something in us that connects with this great sacrifice, the one for the many, that makes Jesus the God who truly loved. And this love is what his kingdom is all about. So today as we sing, as we pray, as we give our earthly treasures to to the common good of the community, and we receive communion, let's enter into his courts with thanksgiving and gratitude and praise because of understanding the heavy weight of sin, but the incredible grace that has been bestowed upon us today by the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's worship him today. Let's pray.